0: Good morning, Watermark. This is tall. (laughs) Today's scripture reading is uh, from Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, to chapter 20, verse 16. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner." These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last.
1: Right. <clears throat> well done. Long passage. Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm going to hide this in the woods. And glad you're here. My name's Tommy. Uh, and uh, we have a very big passage today. Um, a few things to point out before we get going. Um, I want you to do your best to ignore the chapter separations and the verse separations in this passage. Honestly, in most passages. They were added sometime around the 15th century. And there's a lot of things apparently about Jewish writings that for some reason somebody in the medieval period didn't know. Of course not. Now, um, we know things now that sort of we may have separated things differently than the chapter separations are now. So I want you to try to ignore them. And I'm going to bring this whole thing together and not separate it by different different. Numbers and chapter numbers because it tends to make you read it a little differently. Uh, this is all one complete thought from the question of Peter all the way down to the very end of the parable. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so this passage was incredibly transformative for the first century uh, Jewish Christians. Uh, incredibly important because it's setting the tone for what the church was going to be. Um, they likely. We're struggling with or didn't know about the concept of Gentiles being brought into Israel, into the people of God. And so there's a lot of that going on. Um, another thing I'm going to point out is maybe you've heard this, this, uh, this passage preached before in a sense that it's talking about what I'm going to call eschatology. It's a big word if you're not familiar with it basically means, like the future. Um, And, uh, and so it's sort of, and people use this to, to paint a picture of like the future. I don't think that's what's happening. So we're going to do a lot of, lot of stuff here this morning. Um, we're going to talk about generosity. We're going to talk about, um, um, equality in the church. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. So all of which plays into this passage. So, uh, let's take a moment and pray and, uh, and become very present and try our best to sort of grapple with what's going on here. Okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place. Thank you for every single person that you have uh, you've brought here to this very room. Um, some people are just seeking rest um, and quiet and peace. Give them that. Um, some people are seeking information and wisdom. I ask that you would grant some of that this morning. Some are seeking uh, friendship and community. <clears throat> I ask that we would be that place for them. Um, let us be what the people here need us to be. Um, as I speak, uh, let me remember the, all of the things that I've studied. Allow me to communicate clearly. Allow all of us together to be present here, together, as your people, Um, a room full of people focusing for a short period of time on one thing, Um, and may this thing transform us in the way that it transformed the the, the early Christians. Um, Thank you. In your name. Amen. Okay. So, let me move forward here. We're going to start right here uh, in verse 24. You ready? Here we go. Okay. Now. Uh, Peter answered him, okay, I have to stop here because that means there was something going on, a question happening. Now, Jesus has been talking about this rich person um, who, he said, yeah, you want to follow me, go sell all your stuff. It's been this ongoing conversation for the last few weeks about the part that wealth plays in the kingdom. Those who have more, those who have less, what, what part does all this play? What did wealthy followers of Jesus do? Um, what is God calling us to do? So, um, we talked about that. And then Peter has this question after this whole thing happens. Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? So, <clears throat> first off, the question is wildly inappropriate um, and highly irresponsible. Um, so, uh, Jesus doesn't, as, as most teachers would do, get upset about this inappropriate question. Um, he probably understands where they're coming from. Um, the Jewish people have a very long line of uh, uh, a very long history of following God as best they could in following and falling and coming back to God. Um, and these are our young Jewish boys following this rabbi, who they're assuming is going to set up his kingdom. And they're they're thinking, "We've left left everything for you. What are we going to get out of this?" Is the question he's asking. Um, again, inappropriate. It, this is sort of like this is sort of like. Uh, let me steal a plot from a movie, shall I? Um, this is what pastors are supposed to do. I've told I've been told that. Um, now. Let's say a meteor is heading for earth <laughs> and you have a special skill and, uh, and, and you have been chosen, like, you're going to do this thing and you're going to destroy this meteor, however, depending on which movie you watched. um, and, and blow this thing apart. Now, and the question you respond with when, when they come to you and they say, you're going to save everything. And you say, yeah, but what's in this for me? What do I get out of this? And now, like, this is how you can cast the question. Like, it's a really dumb question because... Um, Well, let me just show you Jesus' answer, and then we're going to look at this in a very Jewish way, and it's hopefully going to make more sense to you than it did a minute ago. Um, Here's Jesus' answer, which doesn't seem like an answer, but it really is. We'll get there. Uh, Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or or father or mother, or wife, or children, or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, uh, and will inherit eternal life. So, um, this is a very Jewish answer. Um, one that people today have a hard time... Grappling with um, and understanding, because we um, are children of the Enlightenment, and we like to read things very literally. Um, and there's no symbolism, and there's no metaphor, and there's no cultural context. Um, so let me talk about this passage for a second. In the mind of the, of the Jewish person, in the in the whoa, in the in the <laughs> in the first century, um, they believed. That the most important function of the Messiah, and this may sound surprising to you, to them the most important function of the Messiah was that the Messiah, the king, Messiah means king, that the king, when the king finally came, God's king, he would reunite Israel. Okay? Um, So this is the most important thing. Now, Jesus has chosen 12 disciples around him. The reason Jesus has chosen 12 disciples, um, there's no specific function in that number, like, He could have chosen three, he could have chosen 15. Uh, But in the Jewish world, everything that you do actually is a statement. Um, It it has meaning. Choosing 12 disciples um, was Jesus' way of saying, when you look at him, people would see you with 12 disciples. What Jesus was saying was, um, I am here to reunite the 12 tribes of Israel, which hadn't been done since the time of Jacob. All of this may not mean anything to you, but to the Jewish people in the first century it was the most important thing, because this is how they believed things would be made whole again. This is how they believed the world would be put back in order. God directly governing his people, um, which in their mind was the Jewish people, and that eventually everyone in the world um, would be the people of God. So God ruling over his people with delegated authority to guide and have dominion over the world, which means there would be peace. Everything would be as it is supposed to be. Um, and there's certain, like there's certain uh, things in here. So you you have the Son of Man. That's a that's a reference to the book of Daniel. You don't need to understand it. It just, it, it basically means um, it means the King, God as King, sort of God's King. Uh, we understand it as Jesus, God in the flesh, kind of thing. So uh, the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne. So he's he's King, ruling over everything, um, directly over people, and it says, "You who have followed me will sit on the twelve thrones." Uh, the reunification, right, of all of Israel, stay with me just for a little longer, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, that is a reference to the job that Moses did, who would sit at, at the gates of his city and the people would come to him and they would say, what do you think I should do with this? Or we have a dispute, what should we do? Or what do you think I should do here? And Moses would, the spirit of God would come upon Moses and he would have divine wisdom and he would deal wisdom to the people. He would say, you should do this. This is the right decision. This is the right judgment. You deserve this, not them. All kinds of, so the picture he is painting here is the world being made right, people living in communion with God and the wisdom of God showering over the people and being exchanged in in around humanity from person to person. Okay? So the question is, what do I get out of this? And the answer is, everything. The world made whole again. That's what you get out of this. This is not about you. This is about everything. Um. Which is why Jesus has been going on and on and on and on about your handling of your stuff. Because it matters. Because this is not about you. This is about all of us. This is about the restoration of all things and the reconciliation of all things to God and the world being made as it should be, put in order, at peace, um, love and mercy and grace is the currency that we will exchange and um, the least will be taken care of. Okay? This is what he's saying. And then he even says, like, everyone who have lost houses, brothers and sisters, those who have lost things will receive everything a hundred times what they have ever wanted. Okay? So what he's telling... Peter is, uh, he says, what do I get out of this? And he says, everything, everything that is broken being made right, everything you have lost being given back to you, everything that is hurting being made whole, everything that is sick being made well, um, everything that you have ever wanted, the, the deepest parts of humanity granted. That's what he's saying. That's his answer. And I imagine there's just kind of silence and he's like, Sorry. Right? Like, everything. Okay? So, this is a big Jewish way of saying everything made right. Okay? That's what you'll get. Okay? Um, now, let's go a little farther because the answer is not over. This question, this terrible, stupid question that Peter asked that all of us likely at some point have asked. What, what's the point in even following this thing? I've had, I've had conversations with, with people in this room that they have said, well, like, honestly, like, what's the point of this? Like, why should I do this? Okay? This is, this is the passage for you, okay? Um, and so, this is the beginning of Jesus' answer, and then he launches into a parable, but it starts off in verse 30 with a line that says this, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. He says, he says you will receive everything, but there's something that you need to know that is vitally important to your understanding of the kingdom of God. A lot of people who came last will be put first. And a lot of people who came first will be put last. Now, um, and then he says this. He, he launches into the parable. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. This is like the fourth time God has described the kingdom um, like a land and, and landowner. Like God is the landowner and then the land is, is the kingdom and then there's workers and that's us, right? Um, it's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard and he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, before we get into this passage, before we get into this parable, there is a literary device, an ancient literary device, that apparently the guy who, 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 uh, who put the verses and the chapters in order was completely unaware of, um, and it's called an inclusio, okay? Here's how you say it, um, and you've, perhaps you've seen these in, in the scriptures before and not really known what they're for, but basically it looks like this. It is when there are two verses that are pretty much identical, separated by another passage, Right? So in in chapter 19, verse 30, it says, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Chapter 20, verse 16 says, so the last will be first, and the first will be last, okay? There's like, it's the same line, the same idea, um, twice. And so the best way to explain what an inclusio is, it is an ancient literary device used all throughout the scriptures, To uh, to emphasize something, Uh, basically these act as bookends. Here's how this works. So we're going to separate these, and these are going to become like bookends. This is the idea, and everything that comes between these two passages is an example, or an illustration, or metaphor, uh, or sort of a definition of that idea. So everything between these two same lines is an explanation. So maybe you've come across this, and you said, "Well, it says the first will be last, and last will be first. What does that mean?" There's a reason um, why the inclusio is here. It is to tell you exactly what this means by illustrating it through a parable. Sometimes it's through a story. Sometimes it's through an event. And it's just telling you, like, here's what this means, okay? It's, it's sort of like, and it separates everything from the text. It's sort of like if you had a whole bunch of, like, books, like math books for some reason. And you, and you put them on a shelf in, in, a, in a room full of other books and then you took two, like, bookends that looked like math symbols or something, a math person. And you put them on there. And you push them together. And you can stand across the room and say, see that book end there and that book end there? They match. These are all the same subject. These are all the same thing. And for whatever reason, if you ever decide that you need a math book for whatever, they're right there. You just go read it. And dust it off. Open it up. Okay? Now, never did good in math growing up. And I still talk about it to this day. Now, so here's what it looks like. Look at the top line, look at the bottom line. Everything in the middle, okay? You're with me? So this is the subject. This is part of the answer that Jesus gives to Peter. Very important to understand this, okay? Because Peter is going to, Uh, Jesus is really going to let Peter have it here uh, through this brilliant little parable. So we're not going to read this whole thing again. We just read it. Um, Let's walk through it a little bit and give it a little bit of context and uh, open it up and try to understand. So I'm going to, here's the Jewish workday in the Mediterranean. It's not just Jewish. It's in the Mediterranean. Here's the workday. The workday starts when the sun comes up. They didn't have watches or clocks and stuff like that. Well, well, sort of did. Uh, And in the evening, when the sun goes down, you're done working and everyone goes home. Now, um, it is a full workday. It is 12 hours. So um, there are the people that show up at six in the morning. They have a contract. The landowner has said to them, I will give you one denarius. One denarius is one full day's wage. Uh, I will give you one denarius, and you uh, will work in my field, and you will harvest, okay? Um, And then they get to work. He goes out about the ninth hour, three hours later, um, and he goes out, and uh, there's there's people in the marketplace. Now, these people standing around in the marketplace are what's called, um, uh, they're they're, they're laborers. They're just day laborers, Um, and they are likely people who have fallen on hard times, they, they don't have specifically a trade that is profitable at the moment. Um, they maybe have lost status, um, social status, political status, power. Maybe they are part of an overthrown people and they're traveling. Either way, they're relatively desperate. Um, people who were laborers who were like sort of owned by families would live in a house with people and they weren't necessarily in danger of starvation The people in the center of the town, whether or not they were slave or free people, um, if they were slave, it means their house fell apart and they were out on their own or they were kicked out. Um, Either way, they were in a really desperate situation that nobody else was in because they were not going to be fed and they had to find some food. And missing work for a single day, not getting that denarius, their children could starve to death. So this is the situation we find that all we know is they're day laborers. We don't know their status or anything else. Um, And so he goes at 9 o'clock and he finds them there and he says, why don't you go work in my field as well? He goes back at 12 and he finds more people and says, hey, go work in my field. He goes back at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and he says, why have you been, he finds some people, he says, why have you been standing all day long doing nothing? And they say, because no one has hired us. Uh, He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. He comes back at 5, there are again more people. There's only an hour left of daylight. He says, go to my field and work. I'll pay you. Go go work. And they run, and they all go. It's not hard to find people to work in your field. Now, this was all very normal in the Mediterranean world, Um, especially if it was like uh, grape harvests, from what I've read. Uh, Those had to be harvested like in a day or two before the the heavy rains came and wiped everything out. So this guy had to find people quickly. Um, All of that is very normal, okay? Now, at the end Of this, we get to verse, uh, what is it, 8 through 10 here? Yeah. Um, And it says this. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. And the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So then those who came who were hired first, uh, uh, I'm sorry. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received A denarius so the 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 owner um and this is where jesus in the parable literally uses the line the first will be last last will be first he lines everyone up um and the last ones who came are put first and the first ones who came are put last and they're all lined up depending on when they got here people at five o'clock who've only worked an hour their clothes are still clean they've barely broken a sweat they're like we're done already okay sure pay me whatever um and there's people in the back who are just exhausted been working all day long and they're all lined up first last last first okay so here we are um And here's um, basically what happens. Um, So if you separate this on the timeline here and you put the hours worked, you start at the end and you pay the person at the end who has worked one hour. And he says, give them a denarius. And he gave them a denarius. Now, for a split second, everyone in the line is so excited. Okay? The guys at the front are really excited because they only worked an hour. They just got a full day's wage. Okay? Which makes everyone else down the line start thinking, wait a minute. I've been here 12 hours. I'm going to get 12 days wages. I'm going on vacation. Like they <laughs> this is happening. It's, our payday is coming in, all right? It's time. Um, we have found a guy who can't do math. Uh, it's like me if I owned a field. Um, <laughs> We have found a guy who can't do math, and here we are. We're all about to get paid, okay? So he works down the line. You get a denarius. And for a moment, there is unanimous joy as everyone is excited. And then he moves down the line a little farther, and you, three hours, a denarius. And you, six hours, you also get a denarius. And you know what? All of you, one single denarius for all of you. You're all going to get a day's wedge. So it is at this point that things start to go a little wrong. It is at this point that the people in the back are like, hold on. Um, we've been here 12 hours, they've been here one hour. Now, they're not upset that they're getting paid a denarius. They're upset that someone else is getting paid a denarius. They're upset that someone else is receiving something that they did not work for, okay? Now, that is the heart of this whole thing. That's where all of this sort of, um, like, comes up from. Now, uh, so... um, Let's see. Hold on just a second. Okay, so let's, let's go right to the text here. Uh, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have, you have made them equal to us. That's the real offense, isn't it? You've, you've made somebody equal with me, right? Because for somebody who is expecting more, who has received more and has been told you're going to get more, for someone else... To receive the same, it doesn't feel equal. Actually, it hurts. It's offensive. I feel a little oppressed, right? Like, equality can actually hurt people who aren't expecting it, okay? They can feel this rage that bubbles up inside of them. Part of this is what Jesus is confronting in the church because he knows the Jewish people later are going to have to deal with this, okay? And he also knows that every society has to deal with this. We deal with this now, right? So, here we are. Uh, those who were hired last worked only one hour. He said, you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Um, so, I know their thoughts. I could have just worked an hour and received everything. I could have done less and gotten it. How upsetting is that, that I could have done nothing and gotten paid? Like, that is the complaint that you kind of hear. So, like, "I, oh, you mean I could just do nothing instead of being here working? Right? Like, that is... We hear this stuff kind of all the time. This is a conversation that people... This is not a new conversation. This is an ancient conversation. And Jesus dives into this this very conversation. Um, Now let's be clear. Those who worked all day didn't lose anything. They lost nothing. They got exactly what they had worked for. That's not what they're upset about. They're upset that somebody else got something that they didn't work for. They're not upset about getting paid a denarius. They're upset about other people getting paid a denarius. I know people who... um, who aren't upset that people, um, that people get paid well, they're upset when people get paid more than them. There is, there is a part of us uh, in our human nature that's like, we want people to do well, but we don't want people to do better than us. Like, we have to be doing a little better, right? Like, we always feel just like we worked harder for this thing, right? So, um, they know that they've been treated perfectly fairly. They just don't like it that other people have been treated as fair as them, right? Now, Uh, so the landowner is confronted by the workers Um, so uh, he says I am not being unfair to you friend didn't you agree to work for a denarius take your pay and go I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave you don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money or are you envious because I'm generous okay the whole thing is super awkward right (laughs) Like, everyone knows they're not doing what they should do, but they're doing the only thing that comes to mind. We don't like it when people get something that we want. Or when people are treated equally with us. We don't like it. No one does. But that is what Jesus is here to confront. Okay? Now, let's go a little farther. Um, So basically, I mean, the, the first question that rises up, like, would you be mad? If you're being honest with yourself, I mean, I would be mad. I've been here since 12. I, I, imagine, I, I imagine there's been plenty of times in my life where I've like felt this way. Like so-and-so comes walking in late. You know, I used to work at Starbucks down here. and like, the, I, know, I know, like, oh, look who decided to show up, right? right? Like, yeah, and I bet they already clocked in three hours ago. You know what I mean? Like, so we all know this. We know this feeling. Or when somebody decides to recognize the whole group, when you wrote the paper, like, we know, we all know this feeling. It's upsetting. It's bothersome. Um, and, and we all know this. And here's the thing. The, guys at, the guy at the end, it's sort of like one of his thoughts is like, when you gave him a denarius, and I've been here 12 hours, and you gave him a denarius, I thought you were going to be generous. And he's like, I was being generous and he goes no no to me <laughs> not him do you see the problem like I want you to be generous to me I don't want you to be generous to other people this whole thing like hits so many buttons in our lives and as I read it and as I think about it it's almost like every day I can go throughout my day and be like ouch yeah, there's That that parable popping up over and over and over again. And there's a few things that, like, you can see. First off, when the landowner responds, he's responding the exact same way that Jesus responded to Peter. Okay? Jesus didn't blow his doors in and say, What is wrong with you? Like, this is the third time you've asked about the power you're going to get in this place. Instead, he's like, Let me tell you a tale. (laughs) Young, young Peter. Um, Instead, so, like, he says, He says, Friend, didn't you didn't you agree to work for Daenerys? I'm I'm not being unfair. Friend. Like and the Greek word there is like it's like endearment. It's like brothers, kinship. Like I'm with you. I'm not against you. Like you're we're friends. I'm I'm not trying to hurt you in any way because I'm being generous to someone else. It has nothing to do with you. You you agreed to work for this and I'm giving you this. He agreed to work for this and I'm giving him far more. Than we agreed to. I'm allowed to do this. He goes a little farther He says, You know, he says, it's, it's all mine. Look at verse 15. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? The landowner's like, Look, it's mine. If I want to give some away extra, I can give it away however I want. That has nothing to do with you. And then, and it's like, you also can see that he wanted to. He says, I want to give to the one who was hired last, the same as I give you. I want to. I want to be generous to this person. Why does that make you so mad? And the reason it makes us mad is because oftentimes the generosity of God or the generosity of anybody, it digs up our own envy. Generosity and envy are at polar opposites. They they don't coexist together. Someone who is envious of everyone around them is not a person who is generous. Um, If you, maybe you've wondered, I've wondered this a lot, am I a generous person? Have you ever wondered if you're a generous person and it's really hard to put your finger on it because you're like, you wonder like if the opportunity arose today and someone was in need and I had the specific ability to help them right now, would I do it? I'd like to think I would, of course. And you do too. We feel like we are generous people. Um, But if I'm putting it in context with the rest of the passages that came before this, we oftentimes have a little bit of excess. And so maybe I would say yes, because maybe I have some excess and like, if I have excess, sure, it's super easy to help. What if you didn't have any access? What if being generous to somebody meant you going with less, less than, or nothing? Would you still be generous? That is the question. Um, And it's a really important question. And so there has to be ways to know whether or not we are generous people and whether or not we would. And I think there are specific, what I've learned over the years is there are specific things that you can look for in your life and, and that, that are sort of indication markers of like whether or not you were actually a generous person. One of those things is it's very, very simple, but it's very, very difficult at the same time. Can you celebrate the good wherever it happens? it feels easy to do. You see people receiving wonderful things. Usually, I mean, the things that get shared the most on like social media are are when people who have less receive something beautiful. And we cry and we're like, that's amazing. We love it and we share it. What about when someone who is exactly equal with you receives something else? Read those comments. Someone who maybe has a little bit of excess and they receive something wonderful. We tend to be very critical. Oftentimes because they are on the other side of some political aisle or some man-made construct thing that we have decided that we're not a part of. And we say, well, they're over there. I'm over here. And when they receive something good, we're upset about it. They shouldn't be receiving something good. Or how about... When someone who you know, even your friend, I mean, you'd like to think you and your friends have this great relationship, but why is it that maybe when they receive something something huge and awesome that maybe you've wanted or always dreamed of, and they receive it, you know, um, the marriage, the family, the house, the job, the, whatever, it is that, that, whatever it is that you've been, like, craving, um, and, and, and they receive it, why are you not happy for them? Why, are you, why do you go talk to your friend about it and be like, well... I mean, I've wanted that forever. I mean, I bet bet I'd be better at it than them, but good for them, though. I'm not upset. I'm not jealous. (laughs) Literally jealous. Literally envious. Um, Why? Why are we like this? Um, That is, I would point to that as a sign of whether or not you're a generous person. Um, Can you celebrate the good wherever it happens? If it happens to people who have hurt you and they receive something beautiful, something wonderful happens. Can you celebrate that beauty entering into the world wherever it enters through? New life, goodness, a wonderful things, reconciliation, forgiveness enters into the world through their life, through that portal. And you're like, how dare it come through there? I'm not on that side. It should not have come through there. And we instantly begin to tear it down and, and describe it as less than, right? Um, how about, can you celebrate the good that comes into the world through your enemies? Can you do that when you see your enemy thriving? Can you celebrate that and give God the glory that they have received something beautiful? That is a sign of whether or not you are a generous person because it's not about your stuff, it's about your heart. It is about you desiring the good for everyone around you, for the world, those who would, who would want you harm, those whom you will never know and have nothing in common with. That is the first, I'd say, indicator. The second one is, um, can you welcome others into the place where you already belong, where you already have community and identity? Are you threatened by others entering in? Do you want to keep people out of what you have? Or do you see everything you have and the things that you're a part of or these groups as, like, it's all a life-giving fountain of, of joy and I want others to drink from it? Or Is it, this is my life-giving fountain of joy? And uh, don't even bring your cup over here because it's mine. (laughs) And I want you on the outside wishing you could be a part of it. And I'm not telling you anything. I'm not telling you how to get in. It's all mine and the few people like me. Okay? Let's put this in the context of the first century church. Because Matthew, Pastor Matthew, has written this book to his church, his Jewish Christian church in the first century who is getting ready to start welcoming in gentile christians these jewish christians um, have been following yahweh since the very beginning and have struggled they've received law they have they've they've worn specific weird clothes and eaten weird things and wandered through the desert they've they've they've, they've built like a life in in these in the, the promised land, and built temples, and it was taken away, knocked down, and they built it again, it was knocked down again, built it again. Like, this has been their existence, following God, called, being called Israel, which means the people who wrestle with God. They have 1,800 years of history of following God, and in one foul swoop, Jesus enters in and says, okay, everyone is welcomed in to the people of God, and the Gentiles come walking in. Romans 11 was actually written to tackle this problem. The problem that that raises when newcomers enter into a place where you feel like it's yours. I mean, how many people leave a church when it grows? We built this thing. This is our thing. How dare you come in and think you're equal to us? I have tenure. There is no tenure in the church. There's none of it. I had a professor once tell me, he said, if you've been pastoring for 10 or 15 years, um, and people still refer to you, everyone in the church still refers to you as like Pastor Tommy, he said, like, You have failed. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, you are their equal. You are their brother and their sister. You're just offering a specific service to them, and they offer services to you as well. The person who is an AA in AA uh, on Friday nights and Saturday nights is my brother and my sister. We are equals in the church under King Jesus. We are equals serving the church in different ways. There is no, there is, there's none of that. There's no tenure. There's no, um, There's no such thing in the church, no concept of superiority. It may well be that the person who has just walked in has something wildly important to teach me about Jesus that I have never heard. In the first century, imagine all of these different types of people entering in and coming to Jesus from different sides. Each of them from different, some slaves, some free, some rich, some poor, women, men, eunuchs, all kinds of people entering in, all being living life from a different experience, all being embraced by Jesus, understanding the future God has for this world, taking a seat at the table, taking communion, being baptized, all of them looking at God from different sides and offering something new to say. And the beautiful picture of the family of Christ that that is. That there is no superiority. There is is none of it. And it's the, it's the best when Jesus ends this thing with, with like this question. Are you, are you envious because I'm generous? Like that question is a question that I wish would like ding in my head automatically when I like see stuff. And I'm like, are you envious because I'm generous? No. Yeah. <laughs> so you see something and you're just like, whatever. That means I, I want that. That's what that means. Whatever. Are you envious because I'm, because I'm generous? I'm like, maybe I am. God has been generous to somebody. Somebody has received something I don't have. Somebody has more. Somebody has a bigger thing and a happier life and this and that. Maybe I'm only envious because God is generous. Um, And and let's be honest. If people getting what they don't deserve upsets you, you're really not gonna like Jesus. Like at all. (laughs) Um, Because the whole picture of this whole thing is grace. Um, it's probably a sign that, that you have either not understood God or that you're just maybe not a generous person. And so the question that, that I kind of want to address at the end here is like how, how can we kind of stir generosity in our own hearts? Like, What are the things that we can do? Um, and like I went sort of traditional sermon format, and I have three points, Okay. They're not alliterated, so don't. I heard an aw. (laughs) Aw. Sorry. Um, Now, so generosity, I I would say it begins by learning to receive. I think that's a really important thing to understand. Um, A lot of people have a hard time receiving. They don't want to be sort of in debt socially or anything to anyone else. Um, Someone gives you a gift, and you're like, I don't have anything for you. That's your first thought. You don't understand receiving gifts. You don't understand it at all. Someone invites you over for dinner on the way out, you're like, and you should come to our house next time. Stop trying to get even. Don't try to pay everything back. When someone compliments your shirt and you're like, it was like 70% off. Like, you're saying this because you can't fathom the fact that like you got something good. Okay? It's you have a hard time with it. You don't want to receive it. People give you a gift and you're like, no, no, no. And you reject like three times. Like your entire life is a gift. Every person in your life that you love. It's a gift. The debt is so deep, it cannot be paid back. And God's not even asking you to. You invented debt. Not him. Not interested in that. Like, learning to receive is one of the most important things. With joy, receiving. Looking someone in the eye and saying, thank you. Thank you for this. Just letting that stay there. Your next sentence doesn't have to be, I have something for you you don't there's nothing you don't have anything (laughs) just thank you like i cannot believe that you are doing this for me okay um learning to receive um gifts is is one of the most important things um giving is relatively easy because when you give you're in control receiving is difficult you ever receive something and you're like what do they want i'm pretty sure there's something attached to this I don't know what it is, but I'm going to find out what they want. How dare they give me that? How dare? Okay, now, that's the first thing that I think. Um, The second thing, um, generosity is practiced by celebrating the good received by others. Um, Every single day, when you see good, celebrate it. When you see joy, okay, it's very tempting. Okay, this morning, yes. Okay, this morning I was at a gas station. It's dark. The sun's not up. I'm filling up my guests. This guy drives up at the light. It's like 30 feet away, blasting earth, wind, and fire. <laughs> Windows down. Passenger, they're dancing. Normal thought is, so annoying. <laughs> We've all heard the stupid song. You don't need to blast it. First thought, I hear it, and then I look at him, and he's smiling, and he's happy, and he looks at me. I started dancing. Like I said, <laughs> he got, He was like, he literally went, yay! Yeah! And he drove off. (laughs) I saw good. I celebrated that. Like, I saw it and celebrated it. And like, it did something. Like, celebrating the good wherever you see it. No matter who it is. no No matter who it's received by. Learning to celebrate the good in your enemies, especially, is a spiritual discipline that helps generosity grow. Because generosity, again, is not about stuff. It's about your heart. And you wanting good for the people around you. You being for people. Everyone. For them. Okay? And the third thing I think is really important is that it's maintained. Generosity is maintained by daily prayer and meditation. Um, A really powerful exercise I think you should do at certain times in my life. I have to do this and I probably should do it every day. Uh, Spend a few minutes. um, If you find yourself constantly pondering that person who hurt you. Who drove that knife in super deep. Who... Um, who you can't stop thinking. There's activities that bring them back to you. There's music you can't even listen to anymore that you loved because when you hear it, you think of them and they ruined it for you. Uh, When you think of this person, spend some time in silence and prayer and meditation and maybe, maybe do this. Picture them and then Jesus handing them a gift and look at the smile on their face and look at the joy rise up within them As the king of all hands them a gift. And at that point, I want you to imagine yourself then handing them that gift. And it's very difficult. You don't want them to be happy. You don't want them to receive anything good. You want them to feel everything bad that you have felt. But a daily regimen of stopping and pondering someone else's joy is an important step to understanding how generosity can grow and be maintained in your own heart. It's a really, really important thing. Uh, I would recommend, I'm going to do this, this in the next couple weeks too. Uh, I, I, I'm just going to throw this out there. I would love it if we would do this together. Find something that something that you love, that you own, that you love, that is important to you maybe and give it away. Just give it away and then and feel it. Look at them, watch them receive it, feel what happens to you. And then a few months down the road, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna think, you think I'm about to say, you're gonna be so happy. No, you're literally gonna think, I should not have given that away. (laughs) At that point, it is time to give something else away, to feel it again. Let somebody feel that joy and then feel that with them. Most people only feel joy when they get what they want. That is the only time they feel joy. If you spend your time giving joy to other people, you will feel joy all those other times too. And it's all available to you all the time. Give it away. It it really doesn't matter. Everything that is lost will be given back. Everything that is missing, missing will be found. Everything broken will be made whole again. That is what we have to get out of this. I imagine Peter at the end of this whole thing just dumbfounded like, I'm not asking any more questions. (laughs) Are you envious because I'm generous? Will you continue to be envious because I'm generous? I think this is a great time to enter into communion. Um, Our communion service, you guys can take the elements and spread around the room. Why don't we just practice a spiritual discipline right now during communion? Why don't you take some time? I want you to ponder that person who hurt you, that person who you don't want good things to come to. And I want you to imagine... The love of God being poured out upon them. I want you to imagine the embrace of the Christ wrapped around them. I want you to imagine them receiving something good. Watch their face light up with joy. And then imagine you taking part in that somehow. And it's difficult and it hurts. You will grow. Your heart will begin to change. Deep down at the bottom of it all, a person who is formed by Christ wants the good for everyone. It's for them. And wants them to be restored and made whole again. So, why don't we practice that today? Our, our, uh, our community members are going to spread around the room. Um, there's two elements. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ poured out for you. Um, we do this to remember Jesus. Um, not just to remember, but to take part. To receive um, the nourishment and the understanding and the wisdom of the gospel. And we go out and try to do likewise. Allow ourselves to be broken and poured out for others. Let's, uh, let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for this place. Give us the most incredible December we've had in ways that we, that we didn't expect. Maybe it involves loss. Maybe it involves generosity. Maybe it involves giving away. Maybe it involves receiving. Whatever it is, um, prompt that generous heart, the heart of God within us. Um, that wants all things and all people to be restored and is willing to allow ourselves to be broken and poured out so that that can happen. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Take some time. Talk to Jesus.